Welcome to Pedagog, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, I talk with Ashley J. Holmes about public pedagogy, community literacies, visual and digital rhetoric, multimodality, and writing across the curriculum. Ashley J. Holmes is Associate Professor of English and Director of Writing Across the Curriculum at Georgia State University. Her book, Public Pedagogy and Composition Studies, was published with the Studies in Writing and Rhetoric series. Her articles have recently appeared in the International Journal of Students as Partners and Composition Forum. Her current book-length project, Learning on Location, explores place-based pedagogies through writing, walking, and other forms of movement, and engaging the civic. Holmes serves as managing co-editor of Composition Forum. Ashley, thanks so much for joining us. So your teaching and research focus on public pedagogy. And in your book, Public Pedagogy and Composition Studies, you write this, quote, taking a public approach to composition pedagogy means facilitating students' understanding of the significance of learning that happens in public spaces that may be marked as non-school, unacademic, and everyday, end quote. Can you talk more about this approach to teaching writing and what you mean by public pedagogy? Sure. So um, first, uh, Shane, just let me thank you for, for inviting me to be here. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and just love what you're doing with the podcast. So thanks so much. So public pedagogy kind of emerged as an umbrella term for me uh, that helped capture kind of a, a number of approaches that I was seeing happening in the field that I thought were particularly valuable and of interest to me as a teacher. And thinking about Paula Matthews' work and Tactics of Hope, she talks about that kind of public turn in the field, which is really well established now. Um, and so what I hope to do in that book uh, was really kind of knowing that we were at a certain place where lots of people were doing public work, what can we do to better understand what we mean by this public turn, taking kind of a snapshot of what, what's happening in classrooms. And so to kind of go back to the quote you mentioned, I think at the heart of public pedagogy is an understanding and a valuing of the learning and literate practices that happen outside of school spaces. Um, so much of our research, and it's really understandable why, but so much of our research is focused on what happens in the classroom and how to support students with school-based writing, academic writing practices. But I've always been interested in how we can leverage our time that we have with students in the academy to kind of help them make sense of and navigate the, the already rich writing lives that they have and bring to them or to the academy with them. So I think to do that, we have to kind of acknowledge students as writers already and to use their experiences kind of as a resource uh, for how we can teach writing. And so public pedagogy kind of like became this way for me to unite this set of teaching practices, things that um, things like service learning, civic engagement, community literacy, place-based and problem-based learning, social justice education. So I loved all of those things. <laughs> and I needed, uh, you know, I, I wanted a way, a term to kind of bring them together uh, that helped, helped us think about how we can um, leverage all the pieces of them to, to teach writing in the most effective ways. 
And so for me, a lot of that comes back to inviting students to turn outward um, toward the public rather than always inward into the academy with the kind of work that they do. What that can look like in terms of pedagogical practice can really like vary from school to school and uh, classroom to classroom, like even, you know, the different kinds of classes I teach, how I, how I do kind of how public makes its way into what I teach can really vary. So sometimes that means like building long-term, sustainable, reciprocal, you know, partnerships with nonprofit organizations. Um, that's like kind of the ideal model in service learning, for instance. But the reality is that we have personal and, and professional obligations where we can't always scale up that level and to do it the right way without doing damage uh, in, in partnership. So thinking about folks teaching four fours and five fives, you know, how can we go public in a way that serves those teachers, those students, those classrooms? And, and so when I, when I wrote public pedagogy and composition studies, I was really thinking about how can we kind of pull the good stuff from all these approaches, boil it down. Um, and so I kind of talk in that, that book about kind of three components, um, relocating student writing uh, and experiences in kind of increasingly public spheres, um, valuing people, places, and knowledge beyond the university instead of always kind of going back to the, the library and the experts, what can we learn from the communities we're already in? Uh, sometimes that involves engaging students with unfamiliar or risky publics to help them move towards more productive learning. Kind of at the heart of all this has always been that I really value public writing, particularly when it has an experiential component that gets students kind of out of classroom space into community and local public space. Um, which I think is is really kind of one of the best ways to teach writing. You were talking about how this work varies depending on the institution and classroom context. Do you mind talking more about an, an assignment or classroom practice that you use or draw on that encourages students to consider community literacy? For example, I'm thinking about the article you wrote on street art. Yeah. So. Um, so that was a really cool project. Um, I, um, I'm glad you mentioned the, the article on street art. So we, I teach at Georgia State University in uh, downtown Atlanta. And uh, we had the privilege of, of bringing um, the artist Tatiana Fazlalizadeh, um, whose project Stop Telling Women to Smile was really like blowing up right around, getting a lot of media attention and press right around the time we were able to host her on campus. And so I took a lot of inspiration from the work she was doing in the community. Um, so Tatiana um, would interview uh, women who experienced unwanted comments uh, while walking down the street, uh, something that many women experience. So she would interview them about that and talk about what did you say back or what would you say back? And then she would pull phrases from them and create uh, posters with their image. It's kind of a sketched image of the woman and then their phrase that, that would speak back, something like stop telling women to smile. And so, um, so she came to campus and uh, gave some public talks that were open to the community and that my students attended. And uh, what I love about that project is the way it really connects to 
what I do in the classroom to help students see that the public spaces um, that they're already in, like the literal walls they walk by <laughs> on the way to campus or on the way to work, that those are really valuable sites for learning and for writing and for rhetoric. And so, so part of what I try to teach students about community literacy is by exploring these kind of diverse literate practices of the communities that they're already a part of, um, as well as ones that they're unfamiliar with in their community. So I do try to kind of draw on their own, um, to use a, a quote from the, some of the literature, kind of their funds of knowledge um, and, and, and how they can bring that to what we're learning, but also um, how can we engage with difference and communities that uh, are unfamiliar to us and, and kind of navigate and learn from, right? So I do a lot of different kind of assignments that involve this kind of work. Uh, one I'll mention is um, a multimodal mapping assignment where uh, I've taught it in like a digital writing class, an upper division class, but I've also taught pieces of it uh, in first year composition. And so there's a few different pieces. I usually begin with students doing what, uh, what I call a write on location invention activity where it's like a place-based writing, like choose somewhere that's of kind of rhetorical interest to you and go there and sit and write in, in that place. Really open-ended, like free write, what do you see? What do you observe? And so uh, what are you thinking? How are you feeling? That kind of stuff. And so we use those, I do kind of a series of them and use those as kind of ways to pull out, well, what are the issues you're seeing in your community and how can we use writing and rhetoric to respond to them? And so that process has resulted in a lot of different assignments, some like public writing assignments, like writing a letter to a representative uh, on an issue in your community, or this multimodal mapping assignment where students find their topic, uh, then they actually go to multiple sites, create their own Google Maps, drop pens, and then we use the Google Map and the dropped pens as the kind of uh, base of their text in which they make a public argument about their issue. So it's a real kind of non-traditional, it's not an essay, right, assignment. And so that's been kind of a, a way in which um, students can engage with community, explore uh, local issues that are important to them, do some work with digital technology, um, mapping, place-based work has become really a, a big interest of mine. And so it incorporates that mapping. So I've had students, had a student working with creeks and, and um, kind of environmental issues around um, kind of garbage collecting in urban creeks in Atlanta. She did a really cool project mapping these kind of unknown sites that are like behind apartment buildings and uh, strip malls that people didn't even know a creek was back there in the middle of downtown Atlanta. So she did some cool mapping around that. Uh, I had a student um, do some work around uh, public transit and doing some mapping around bus stops and um, accessibility. So, so there's some, some cool projects that have come out of that. And, and that's one of the ways I invite students, um, like the student who did the bus uh, route project, he, he, that came out of his own experience, riding a certain bus route, doing his writing on location on his phone while he was on the bus route. So I'm really trying to meet students where they are and see their everyday lived experiences as a site for uh, research and further exploration and, and writing and, and communication. So you're talking about this, this mapping project and public pedagogy. And in, in addition to this, your teaching focuses on visual rhetoric and, and digital writing. Can you talk more about 
the affordances of, of multimodality, visual rhetoric, digital writing, and, and specifically in a class like first year composition. Sure, absolutely. So actually, I think where I am right now is doing kind of an intersection of both of those things. Um, so it's a great question because I, I teach, I, we have an undergraduate um, concentration in rhetoric and composition. So we have, we have an upper division course in visual rhetoric. We have an upper division course in digital writing. So those are fun places to really delve deeper. But I'm, I appreciate that you also connected back to first year composition because that is also a place where I engage with these concepts and build assignments um, for students in part because I think visual and digital rhetoric uh, is kind of a great way in for students. Um, it can be kind of a fun, uh, engaging way for them to connect their everyday lived experiences through um, popular texts, um, things they're seeing online, social media sites, posters, those sort of things that they're engaging with all the time. The tricky part, and this is especially true with first year writers, but it's also true with upper division writers, is that because students are so deeply immersed in those kind of visual and digital texts on a daily basis, they, they approach these assignments from a, you know, I got this kind of perspective. They're thrilled to not have to do, uh, you know, analyze a book or an essay or a research article. And they're like, oh, well, I can analyze this, uh, this poster, this meme, no problem. I've got this. And so I kind of like that. And I try to leverage that uh, approachability of the assignment. Uh, but then I also have to do some uh, work to help them see how to break down the steps of visual analysis. So and that what they typically like to do is jump to, here's what it all means. And it's like, well, how did we get from the original text to here's what it all means? Uh, we have to get, you know, make transparent those steps in between. So, um, so I love teaching visual analysis and visual rhetoric at the first year and in upper division, but I've learned that, that students need a lot of support and scaffolding for those in-between steps. So to give you an example that kind of connects in with this embodied place-based work I've been doing. And also that comes out of the Stop Telling Women to Smile project is a few years after that, I began um, having students go on a street art walking tour with me. We have the advantage of, of being an urban campus in downtown Atlanta. And so really, again, seeing the walls around us as, as a text for the course, uh, instead of just looking at pictures of murals and textbooks, let's wear some comfortable walking shoes and we're going to go walk today. <laughs> I tell them in advance and, uh, and, and I kind of map out a route. And um, the first time we did it, I was able to invite a local uh, artist to lead the tour. And he actually knew many of the muralists who had done the pieces, again, trying to tap into that kind of public local knowledge. I'm not expert in this. Uh, so, so who can we bring in? And so um, so we walk through, there's, there's a few corridors near campus where there's several series of um, kind of commissioned murals. And then there's almost like a, um, it's the Crog Street Tunnel, if anyone's in the Atlanta area and knows that. Uh, it's more of like a free expression space. And so we kind of do some comparative work around uh, commissioned murals and, and, you know, what some people might call graffiti or what other people might, you know, just free art. So we started doing that work and then I built that into an assignment. And so we walk together and students take their own pictures and then they choose a mural uh, from our local area. 
either one on the tour or one in their kind of neighborhood and they, they analyze it. And so, so we, we do that work of, okay, so you've got your mural and the first assignment I have them uh, pick five or six features of the image to analyze in detail. So instead of what does it all mean? Like here is uh, a little girl holding a balloon, you know, talk about the balloon. What is the balloon doing? What is it, how, how does the, your understanding of the balloon contribute to this larger meaning? So we really try to break down into steps, kind of this observations and inferences. What do you observe? What do you see in the image? Like literally, cause they, they want to jump to the conclusions, right? And, and so how do those literal things we see help us work together to contribute to your reading of the image? And so, so we do that work in kind of a deconstructed essay, and then I lead them into a more traditional essay where they're having to do that visual analysis work, but also have thesis statements and bring in some outside research. And then I like to end uh, with a shifting from consumers to producers of visual rhetoric. So they're, you know, not just analyzing others' visual choices, but then they do kind of a public visual argument of their own. And sometimes that's like a digital kind of project. Sometimes it's not. And so, uh, so it's a nice kind of arc for the class and it works well in the upper division and, and in for sheer composition as well. This is my last question. You're the director of the Writing Across the Curriculum program at Georgia State University. What are some of your administrative priorities or or what's your kind of administrative philosophy? Are there any initiatives that you're currently working on? Is there any kind of theory or or whack practice that has most informed the work that you do as a director? I uh, had the wonderful benefit of inheriting a a really well-established, long-running program. Uh, Georgia State's uh, WAC program uh, was founded by George Pullman in the late 90s. Uh, Its first director was Mary Hawks. uh, And I took it over from Brennan Collins a few years ago. And early in my administrative uh, work for this program has been, how, how can I build on these initiatives without, you know, undermining the great work of, of colleagues? Like, don't mess it up, right? <laughs> so, so it's been a, a great, you know, learning experience to to uh, take what they handed to me, which is a really great program. It has um, really far reach across campus. We've had hundreds of faculty go through the program over the years and learn about writing intensive pedagogies. We have a a really robust piece of the program around writing fellows, which we hire graduate students uh, within departments and disciplines across campus. Uh, They go through some WAC uh, workshops to learn about good pedagogy, and then they're embedded writing fellows or writing tutors. And we've had, since record keeping was passed down to me, uh, probably nearly a thousand graduate students go through this over the, you know, 20 plus years of the program. So so it's definitely been a don't mess it up (laughs) kind of approach. But, you know, I, my philosophy is developed a lot out of, um, you know, folks I've learned from over the years. And uh, we were talking earlier about uh, North Carolina State University, where I did my bachelor's and master's. 
I had the great opportunity to work with Chris Anson there and, and many others, but in particular, my first year as a master's student, I don't even know if I had uh, designated rhetoric and composition as my, my area of focus yet, kind of randomly placed with Chris Anson in the campus writing and speaking program. Learned so much from that experience. I remember sitting around, uh, Chris maybe still does these today, uh, brown bag lunches with faculty from across the university, sitting around and talking about writing. What, what is good writing in your discipline, right? And so to me, whack at the heart of it is that, you know, faculty from across the university coming together and, and sharing their ideas and talking about student writing. I mean, it's like what we love to do in our field. And so to have others come in and I mean, it's, my, the favorite, my favorite part of my job is is when we kind of do that work. So, so to me, the heart of WAC is really grounded in good faculty development, and bringing folks together, um, acknowledging their expertise that they bring to the to the table, but also kind of gently uh, encouraging them to think about what we know are, are best practices in our field for for teaching writing. WAC at GSU is also situated within our teaching and learning center. So I have a lot of good support for that kind of faculty development work. Um, kind of on the horizon for, uh, for the program, we are doing uh, some new work around assessment, trying to roll out some larger assessments. We, the history of the program, I'm actually working on a piece with a, a graduate student, um, Jesse McCrary, about Georgia State had a quality enhancement plan as part of our accreditation. Um, it was kind of a, a whack initiative. It was called critical thinking through writing, but but it shared many of the goals of WAC. And so they were separate programs that ran separately. Uh, the, the QEP, our quality enhancement plan, is kind of not here anymore because we have a new QEP. Those come every five or 10 years, I think. Uh, but WAC is still here. And so we're trying to, to, to tease out how to roll out more assessment in the program without burdening faculty too much with that work, um, how to do it in a good way. Another uh, a big initiative on my agenda is um, uh, how can we learn from the great work happening at other institutions uh, about how to in include more anti-racist uh, whack practices and approaches, um, thinking particularly of uh, Genevieve Garcia de Mueller's work at, at Syracuse. You know, how, how can we do that work here at Georgia State um, and support faculty uh, in doing that work in the writing intensive WAC classes? So those are kind of on my, my agenda and my to-do list. Um, since I took over as director, the program, we we formed a, an official committee, advisory committee. Uh, we voted on a mission uh, mission statement for the program. So, so we're getting kind of these pieces in place to roll out some larger initiatives, um, but it's been a real pleasure. Uh, I love administrative work. And so uh, I really enjoyed kind of um, getting into it more with WAG. Thanks, Ashley. And thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.